Welcome back, everyone. I'm your host, Mackenzie Frank. I'm so excited to be back. It's been such a long break. We took a summer break because it was just so insane, but then things became more insane <laughs> over here. I can't wait to catch you guys up. And we extended the some, the break um, into now, which I'm really excited to jump back. I've had so many amazing conversations. I can't wait to, to have you guys listen to. They mean so much to me, and I've met some amazing people along the way. Um, but I can't wait to kind of catch you up on my life and how the summer went for us and all those different things, um, what's new in our lives. But I wanted to start off with an episode that I recorded before we went on break. And this one just happened to miss the mark on making it in before the break, um, which I was so sad about, but, um, it happens, but actually it's kind of cool because we get to start off with her. It's Nicole Walker. I'll let her introduce herself, but she is a licensed counselor and coach and I have the best conversation with her. It was so great. Um, she really is someone that is so intelligent and has so much to offer. Um, I think you guys will really enjoy this episode and I'm just super excited if you hear, um, shuffling around it's Jagger she's in the studio with me today Jagger do you want to come say hi no. Uh, no okay um well I am about to take off on my first trip ever away from Jagger um I'm going to California for one of my girlfriend's bachelorette parties so that's gonna be so amazing but oh it's been um such a toll on me emotionally as a mom and I'll have an episode all about that um and, you know, discussing that in depth because I know a lot of you moms out there listening, there's a big mom audience, obviously, on here. Um, and, you know, it's just such a big thing leaving your kid. Do you feel how you feel? And I know everybody feels so different, but I'm the type that's just like distraught over it. <laughs> um, I feel less stressed when I'm with her. So I'm like, can I just stuff her in the suitcase? That would just be so nice. Um, another thing I wanted to mention before I cut to the real beef of the episode, which is with um, Nicole Walker, like I said, I did want to talk about the name of this podcast and just kind of for those of you who are new to the podcast. So the podcast is called The 20-Something Mom with Mackenzie Frank. Now, I am the 20-something mom. That's who I am. Um, and you don't have to be a 20 something mom or you don't have to be a mom and you don't have to be 20 something to listen. So I have heard some swaying of, of people, you know, they, they kind of have a little bit of confusion on the name and, um, uh, things like that, but that's just who I am. And it's just a, a representation of me and where I am in my life. So I am just so happy you guys are along with the journey and I can't wait to open up more conversations and discuss you know, more things that you guys want to hear about. But anyway, without further ado, let's get to this episode. And Jagger needs help, so that's perfect timing. Enjoy, guys. Yeah. Are you ready to say hi now? Okay. Ready? Good. Say hi, everyone. Hi, everyone. Say hi, podcast listeners. Hi, podcast Can you tell them your name? My name is? Jagger. And how old are you? One. You're not one. How old are you? You had a birthday party. Uh, my birthday party. Twenty-nine. You're twenty-nine. Yeah. Oh, that's pretty old. So you're older than mommy. Yeah. Oh. Uh, okay. Um. What? How was your birthday party, by the way? We'll talk about that at some point. But how was I your? Got, I did my birthday. What'd you like to do at your birthday? 
Um, play with toys. Play with your toys. Okay, say bye. Okay. All right, guys. Let's get to it. Well, thank you so much for joining me. I'm so happy to have you. It's so awesome to have people like you come on. Um, I'm Mackenzie, by the way. I mean, this is our first introduction <laughs> to each other. But um, thank you so much. Do you want to start off, I guess, by just telling the listeners who you are, what you do, that kind of thing, so we get a better representation before we go into some some topics? Yeah, totally. Um, so my name's Nicole Walker. Uh, I'm a licensed therapist and coach based in upstate New York. Um, and I've been in private practice for a couple years now, um, and specialize in helping people kind of get out of their own way of finding and keeping the healthy love that we all deserve. So that's kind of my specialty, what I love to do. I help, uh, people with relationships, but, um, yeah, that's a little bit about me. So awesome. How did you get into this? I always like to ask this, um, to experts like you, how did you get into this field? Like what sparked your interest? Yeah, well, I mean, I think any therapist who tells you that like it wasn't going into that field wasn't a little bit self-serving would be lying, right? Because <laughs> I think that like going in, at least all the therapists I know, you know, all have like interesting childhoods, right? And like so much of it is like, I want to like learn more about me. And of course, you know, there's that huge part of like wanting to help and connect with other people. But um, I think that's what really first got me into it um, is just kind of wanting to learn more about myself. Right. And like why I felt certain ways. And I personally had always really struggled with relationships. So I talk a lot about uh, attachment theory on my Instagram. So if your listeners are familiar with that framework, I was totally in the avoidantly attached camp, which is someone that really like wants that love and connection, but it feels very overwhelming, very scary. They're kind of always like the ones that, um, are independent and I don't need no man and like all of that right so I really struggled with that and did so much work on myself and worked with my own therapist and did a lot of reading to kind of move past that so that's kind of how I ended up with the specialty that I have now is just like it's something that I know so well and I had to work so hard to overcome so it's like my absolute favorite thing to help other people with that and to educate other people on kind of these concepts and attachment theory, because I find that if you have difficulties with relationships, like having that knowledge, oh my God, it's just like mind blowing. Like it is so, so helpful to kind of look at things through that lens. That is so amazing. I love how you are so real about it because I feel like I've talked to a lot of therapists, especially on this podcast. We, we, you know, I met so many great people through it. And I've never heard that perspective of, hey, honestly, I went through a lot. This is how I was. And, you know, I just feel like that gives a sense of relatability, obviously. And it just, it, it opens that, that um, door of com- comfortability for somebody coming to you. Um, that is just so cool that you say it like that. I love that. Oh, well, thank you. No, and I mean, that's my hope, you know, and I push people because I've been there myself. 
And, you know, I got to a place where I was 30 years old and I did want a relationship. You know, I did eventually want to get married and have children. And I get like, that's not for everyone, but just for me personally, you know, like those were my goals. And naturally you get to a place where it's like, okay, I'm the common denominator here. Like, so what do I need to do to kind of get out of my own way? Um, and you know, I am engaged now. I'm actually getting married in September. Oh, congratulations. That's coming up so quick. Yeah, no, thank you. So, um, that's all really exciting, but, um, yeah, no, have totally been there. So, and, and I think too, like that, um, if I'm asking people to do uncomfortable stuff and to push themselves and all of that stuff, like I feel more right within myself asking people to do that when I know I've done that, if that makes sense. Yeah. And then you could have a sense of, of, you know, for familiarity when you're going into telling people, you know, this, this does work and this is why I've been there. I've done that. That is so cool. I think one of my first questions really is because there's so many people out there listening that are, well, first of all, can you plug, where can they find you? I know some people, I do it at the end, but I've been hearing more and more that <laughs> listeners want want to be plugged in the beginning. So where, where can we find you on Instagram? Because your Instagram is amazing. There's so much information. I just started following and I'm like blown away. I'm like, I need like a day to scroll through all this stuff. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Mackenzie. Yeah. That's very sweet of you to say. Uh, but my Instagram is the practice of peace. Um, and also, I have a free workbook. So if you go to my Instagram and you're like, what is this lady talking about? I don't know what attachment theory is. I don't know what my attachment style is. If you check out my Instagram, I have a free workbook that goes into what attachment theory is. It has like a fun little quiz in there to help you identify what your attachment style is um and a little breakdown of each of the four styles and some kind of journal reflection questions so again that's totally free free resource for you so i would definitely encourage people to go follow me over there and you can download the free workbook too and is that something that is nice to do with a partner or on your own as well um yeah really either or okay yeah that's so good to know i a lot of people um I've gotten a lot of feedback on um, therapists that come on and they love those those free workbooks or, or questionnaires or things that they can do with their partners or if they are single, something to help them along the way. So that's really cool. Um, I, I know that a lot of people are in that situation of, especially, you know, COVID happened and that kind of put a damper on people's dating lives. And, you know, how do you go about finding self-reflecting and saying, hey, I am the common denominator in this situation, this situation, or, you know, realizing, well, maybe I just haven't been dealt the best cards per se. Like, how do you even go about that internal conversation, if that makes any sense? Yeah, well, I love that you phrase the question that way, because I think a lot of times what happens is, we kind of have, uh, you know, relationships that we had growing up, right, that feel familiar. And as adults, we subconsciously recreate those dynamics. So when you said, oh, you know, is it just this card that I've been dealt? Well, that card that you've been dealt, quote unquote, is just reconfirming and exacerbating the core beliefs that you already had about love. Huh. If that makes sense. Yeah. Can you dive a little bit more into that specifically? 
<laughs> so to give you an example, like let's say that I grew up with a parent that I felt like I had to work really, really, really hard to get their love, right? Like they were just really tough on me. Um, I, it was never good enough, right? Like I felt like I always had to strive, get perfect days for just like a little crumb, right? Well, our subconscious associates familiarity with safety, right? And we're, when we're a kid, we're really kind of helpless to the environment and the relationships that we're around and brought up in, right? Like when you're eight years old, if there's like unhealthy love in the home, you're not going to be like, hmm, I'm noticing that this is unhealthy and I'm going to like move down the street with the Smiths, right? <laughs> like that doesn't work. Like this is just what you know, right? Like you're picking up all of these massive messages as a child of like, this is what love is. This is what it looks like. This is what it feels like, right? Like this is how I'm kind of learning and I'm taking in all of this patterning about what love is, right? And what I associate with that word. And so then what happens is when we become an adult, we oftentimes without even realizing it, seek out very similar dynamics with our partners. So that man or woman will probably be attracted to and find themselves in relationship with people that they have to work really, really hard to get their love and to just get a little bit of attention, right? And to just get them to answer their text messages, right? They're kind of, again, a little unavailable. So that's kind of how we see it repeat. So like that person, right, to kind of bring this full circle, as an adult could say, uh, oh, you know what? All, I've been on the apps, I'm dating people, everyone's just so emotionally unavailable, you know, I don't know, I keep on putting myself out there, but like these people just don't want relationships. Well, I think with the people that you've been dating, that may be true, right? But I think that's then looking at like, okay, well, what's going into the partners that you're choosing to date and be in relationship with? Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. I feel like that that alone can help somebody kind of reflect on their own life and wait, what? It, who am I going after almost? And what? how can I change that? How can you change that? Yeah, well, I think awareness is a huge part of it, right? Because what happens a lot of times that we see is if you grew up with kind of um, like – a hot and cold parent, right? Or like sometimes they were available, sometimes they weren't available, kind of like that inconsistent caregiving. A lot of times that will create something called an insecure attachment style, right? So like there's, as I said, four different attachment styles and you have a secure camp, right? Which is 50% of the population. And then under the insecure umbrella, there's three attachment styles, avoidant, anxious, and disorganized, right? And all of those, yes, they're different, but I'm just grouping them together for the purposes of this conversation, come from and are produced from growing up in an environment where there is that inconsistent caregiving, right? Or sometimes the parents around, sometimes they're not. Um, and that kind of hot and cold dynamic right? And kind of being in that heightened state, again, feels really familiar. So the point that I'm making in saying all of this is you will pick partners where there is that emotional roller coaster, and they are playing hot and cold, and we're together and we're not together, right? And a lot of times we get into this mistake of mistaking um, what we think is chemistry for actually just being in a hyper aroused, anxious state. 
that we've associated with love, right? It's not actually chemistry. What you're feeling is you're in a vigilant, you know, hyper aroused state, right? So I say all this to say that when you're with someone who is secure, right? And they're a good communicator. There's conflict resolution. They plan the date. They show up. They, you know, their actions match their words. Your nervous system is not going to be heightened. You're not going to be in a hypervigilant aroused state. You're going to be pretty chill. And that's going to feel boring to a lot of people. And a lot of people, depending on their childhood, don't associate that with what they've learned love means. So they think, I'm not attracted to this person. This is person's kind of boring, not really a connection there, when really that could be an amazing partner for you. You just got to hold steady a little bit and let that connection grow over time. Wow. I never have thought about it like that. Obviously, I'm not the expert in this area, but it's really cool because I've heard friends or family and she's like, yeah, there was no spark. Yeah, there was no this. But and a lot of the times, you know, like you're saying, maybe just hold on strong, maybe just kind of feel it out a little bit more. And what is there like a window for somebody maybe going through that listening right now? Hey, went on a couple dates with this guy and I just don't feel it. It's not it's not exciting. It's not you know, what, what, is there a time limit to give them? Like, how do you know if it could be a fit or shouldn't be a fit? Yeah, no, that's a great question because I think a lot of times people mistake what I'm saying is like, go out with someone that you're not attracted to that like, you know, no, that's not what I'm right. Like, I'm not trying to like push you into a relationship with someone that you're not attracted to and like nothing builds. That's not what we're talking about. But um, I'll share an example from my own life. So my fiance, I went out on the first date with him. He's an accountant um, and was kind of bored, you know, like, I mean, he was like a decent guy. You know, he's very nice, a good communicator, but I left the date and I was just kind of like, take it or leave it, you know, like he was nice, but I mean, I was like physically attracted to him. Like, of course, if you go out on a date with someone and you're just like, oh God, like this, yep. you know, I can never imagine myself sleeping with this person. No, do not go on another date with them. But this person, like if you go on a first date with someone and you're like, they were okay. I wasn't like over the moon, but like they were a nice person. I would always encourage you to go out on another date. And Uh, so many people that I've worked with have had this experience and I've had this experience on the second date with my fiance. I had so much fun. I found I was so much more attracted to him. Uh, he had shared, he was kind of nervous on the first date and kind of like just went into like work mode because he was like nervous and was like a little more like uptight. And on the second date, I remember thinking like, oh my God, this guy's like funny. Like I didn't really get that side on the first date. So I think the point I'm trying to make is to just give it a little bit more time, right? So if by the third date, you're still like, oh God, I like don't even like this person, move on. You know, I wouldn't give it more than three dates, but I think giving it a couple dates to just give it the opportunity for something to grow is huge. And with all the people that I have worked with, on you know dating and helping them find and keep a healthy relationship they've had this experience where the first date was like okay but they notice like oh wow something 
did grow over time. And if I hadn't kind of done this work on myself, I would have totally cast them off after the first date. That makes sense. I don't know if this is completely going in a different direction, but as you were talking, it made me think of, you know, kind of giving the person time to maybe come into themselves or things like that. And one of the, so I had done a poll, um, from listener questions, getting listener questions for you. And, and a lot of what people come up with are, are, you know, what do I do in a toxic relationship or toxicity? And, you know, how, how do I deal with that? Whatever. So what I'm thinking of is <clears throat> how do you, and I know there's different forms of, of toxic behavior and all those different things, but like if you're in a marriage or you're in a relationship with someone that maybe is, like love bombing or um, gaslighting or very controlling per se, you know, where do you draw the line and say, I need to leave? And then how do you leave a situation like that? I mean, I know that's the other extreme of what we were just talking about from like just dating, but I know that's a huge question people are asking and it kind of, it kind of go, coincides with, you know, kind of see it out, wait it out. Do you do that with a situation like that? Well, what's your advice there? Yeah, no, and I think um, I will answer your question that you just asked, but I want to kind of add one more thing onto that. A lot of times those relationships, you will have a first date with, I'm mean, talking toxic relationships. Yep. You will have a first date with someone and leave and feel like, oh my God, I've got my person. We're doing this like all in. That is a red flag. What? Now, yes. Now, huh. sometimes, right, you can have a first date and it's like, oh my God, this is my person. We totally clicked. I'm not saying that's not a possibility, right? I know like all these soulmates out there are going to be like coming at me hard <clears throat> in my DMs. I'm not saying it's not <laughs> possible. I'm just saying it's very, very, very rare. Right? Wow. And if we look back to what I was talking about, a couple minutes ago about kind of trying to find our missing puzzle piece, right? Like with finding the person that's a match to the dynamics we had in childhood, especially if they were unhealthy, then that person is going to feel like, oh my God, this is perfect. This is super familiar. I'm used to this. Your subconscious is going to be like, bingo, we got it. And that's not good, right? So I think that's just kind of something to keep in mind because with the people that I have worked with who are in a very toxic relationship, they had that. It was hot and heavy right from the start. They left that first date feeling like, oh my God, this is my person. We're in it. It was intense from the beginning, constant communication, hanging out all the time. So I just share that because I think that's something to be aware of in the dating stage. Well, I do want to say that's so, I've, 0% ever heard that. It makes full sense how you just said it. And I'm thinking back to my own, like my marriage. And we were, I was really young. I was 16 when we started dating. We've been together for almost 13 years. And I definitely was, I mean, I don't know if that you can correlate that to just being, you know, I was young, like, but I definitely was not like, oh my God, he's my husband. He was, I was just like, oh, like I had, we, I had broken up with a 16 year old little boyfriend three weeks before started dating him. I was like, yeah, let me just like go out on dates. And I was like, it was like nothing. So it was the same thing. I wasn't like, oh my God, he fills this void um, or anything like that. So it literally 
is what you're saying. And now we're happily married with a baby. Like, you know what I mean? Look at that. So funny. No, a lot of times healthy love is a slow burn. Right. And a lot of people who really like seek and crave that intimacy, right? If it if it's because of, you know, like people who are anxiously attached have a really hard time being single. They really want to be in a relationship. They want to be close to someone. Any threat to that disconnection sends them into, you know, a tailspin and they engage in something uh, that's called protest behaviors, which is a whole nother thing. But for them, you know, that can feel so good right to just go from like zero to 60 but with a and to kind of um bypass normal or healthy steps to intimacy if that makes sense yes right like maybe you don't talk about your wedding weekend you know what I mean like stuff like that right but like an anxiously attached person those are kind of things that they um can engage in um and you know, that's because they really want that intimacy and closeness and all of that, right? And that behavior has a reason. So it's not, I'm not shading the anxiously attached at all, right? There's a reason behind all of that behavior. But I think it's just kind of something to uh, be aware of in the dating phase. So you are, are you a supporter or not a supporter of Kourtney Kardashian and Travis Barker? <laughs> Have you seen that whole yeah, yes, I have seen that. Well, I will say this about them. Um, lo- love a pop culture tie-in. I'm yeah. all about it. Um, I would not say that that is unhealthy for a couple of reasons. Okay. I actually think they have a very healthy relationship from what I've seen. And why I think that is because they knew each other for a very long time. They were neighbors and friends, right? They had both been previously married. So they... Or, I'm sorry, no, Courtney wasn't married. What am I talking about? Yeah, I feel like kind well, of. Yeah, kind of, right? <laughs> yeah, whatever. But the point I'm trying to make is they had both previously shown that they could commit, mm. right? They were in committed relationships. They had children with those people. I mean, granted, it didn't work out, but they were still, it wasn't like Travis Barker was this like 45-year-old guy who always dated 20-year-old women and like could never get married or settle down, right? Like they both had shown that they were able to have kind of these committed relationships. So I think like when you have a relationship, like when you kind of been through different things, right? You've been married, they're older, they have kids seems like they both really knew what they wanted, what they were looking for, knew themselves, felt very confident and secure in being alone. And then I think when those two people came together, like, I think they have a great relationship for all those reasons I just listed. It wasn't like they randomly met and then were like, oh my God, like, let's get married. They knew each other for such a long time. Yeah. And I agree. I just think, and I love them. I'm a big supporter of the Kravis situation. But what gets me is like, how do they just are they're making out 99% of their relationship? Do they breathe? (laughs) Like, I don't, I don't understand. So that makes me think and I've heard all the you know, all the theories that circulate. It's like, you know, is that going to die out? Is that flame of just like sexual, like, just physical attraction that is so insane, intense? I guess we will see. We will be determined. I mean, sometimes, you know, I've worked with couples where that sexual chemistry, yes, sometimes maybe it'll change over the years and as people get older, but 
I've seen couples hold on to that. So it is not impossible. And I think when you meet the right person and you both kind of like work on that together, it can be done. Yeah, absolutely. So funny to watch the show and see like all the families like, are they ever going to stop? Like, you know, and so, you know, when they're saying stuff, it's more than just the editing. So it's just so funny. But anyway, I loved getting your, uh, your take on that because that is such a, you know, a big circulating relationship in pop culture now. Yes. Yes. Very much so. And then if we're going to take this home, Mackenzie, if yes. you're down for this, Chloe. Okay. Right? Please. I'm sure you've heard about what's going on with Tristan Thompson and all yep. that, right? Yep. So my take on that, my armchair psychology, um, is Chloe strikes me as someone with definitely some avoidant attachment, right? She's always been very independent, very kind of sassy, right? But like she got a she got a rough go of it when she was growing up, right? Like she was always kind of compared to Courtney and Kim, and I think it definitely uh, led to her developing kind of a tough exterior, a little bit of armor, right? Like kind of letting things roll off her chest with humor, right? And like, I'm a huge Chloe supporter, mm. love Chloe. Um, but I think that's kind of how I would conceptualize that. And a lot of times people who have avoidant attachment pick men who are emotionally unavailable. And if we look at who she's been with and picked, very unavailable, right? Yep. Um, so I wish her all the best. I hope she finds the best person ever. Tristan Thompson is not it. No, for anybody. I don't see who he could be a fit for at this point. Oh, well, I hope she has this new baby and it's happy and healthy and she can have two babies from the same dad that she always dreamt of and move on. And then that can be that with him. Yes. Yes. Fingers crossed. But yeah, so moving back to I, I about the question that people have written in a lot about is that toxic relationship. Yes. How did how to identify that and how to get out of it? Because they can I've heard of people that can identify like can say I'm with a really controlling person, but I don't know how to leave or I don't want to leave or I can't leave or all these things. What 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 about that? Oh, yes. I think the first thing that I would kind of take stock of and reflect on is what side of myself does this person bring out, right? So in this relationship that I'm in, if it's toxic, controlling, or whatever, do I like the version of myself that I am with this person? I think that's a great place to start and kind of think about that or, you know, journal it out. Who are you in this relationship? And is that a person that you like? And if it's not a person that you like, that should be impetus enough to take some steps to um, leave the relationship, right? Because like, and if it feels like it's not, right, then the work would be kind of building your self-confidence, right? Building your self-esteem, building your self-worth. What are those messages that you received around you know, you don't deserve healthy love or like, this is all you're going to get. You just got to like suck it up and deal with it. Right. And really looking at like, how did I end up here? Uh, what's keeping me here and why do I deserve something better? Yeah. You know? So I think that's a good place to start. And I think that if you are in a relationship that 
you feel is toxic. I think a great first place to start is to try and talk to your partner and communicate with them. Um, now, I mean, if we're like on the spectrum of toxic, right? I mean, if we're like super toxic, we're in like abusive territory. Okay. Like we don't need to talk to anyone, right? Like we just need to get out, but yeah. I'm talking on kind of the lesser spectrum. If you're with someone where you feel like, I don't know, maybe they don't respect your boundary or something. There's mm-hmm. a boundary that they've crossed. Maybe you want to hang out with your girlfriends alone and they always seem to tag along and it bothers you. right? Or like not let you hang out with your girlfriends I mean isn't that a huge sign of of control like controlling in a relationship yeah totally definitely and I say this to just say that to try and play devil's advocate a little bit and that I think it's really important to communicate those things to our partner because there could be a small possibility Maybe that person just loves spending time with you and just, you know, is making like small comments that makes you think, oh, they don't want me to hang out with my friends, right? And I just say that because in the 10 years that I have been doing couples therapy, talking to people, everyone thinks everyone else is a mind reader. They're not. They're not, right? So direct and effective communication is so important and can go so far and it is such a win-win for all parties because let's say you go to that person and you say, hey, you know, it really bothers me. Like, I want to hang out with my girlfriends one-on-one. You know, what's going on? Like, I feel like you're kind of weird when I ask. You don't want me to. And if they straight out say, like, no, I, I, I don't want you to hang out with them. Okay, you got your answer, right? Like, you got to get out. But now there's no gray area. Now there's no if you leave sitting in the, oh, well, it wasn't that bad. Maybe they didn't mean it that way. No, no, no. You talk to them and now you know they yeah. don't want you hanging out with your friends, right? So it's a win-win either way. Or maybe they can say like, oh my God, I didn't even realize I was doing that. I'm so sorry. Like, please, like, I want you to hang out with your friends. And then me, and then we see if there's positive change from there. That's the hope. And if there is, great. Right. And if not, okay, well, now we have more of an answer, but so much can be solved with just some direct communication about how you're feeling and without attacking, just being curious about that other person's behavior and what's going on. My, that makes perfect sense. I think that can definitely help some people listening, you know, kind of identify it. Like, first of all, when you said it was just perfect, like, do you like the person that you are? Because some people can sit here and all day just wonder, I don't know, maybe it's not, like you said, maybe it's not that bad. But if you look inward, which you're the only person that you can change, if you don't like who you are, then at the end of the day, then, you know, that's just not healthy. Um, Me and my husband, or my husband and I are very supportive and just think that therapy is just such a great tool for, you know, setting a foundation in your marriage and your relationship. But you know, for those people that don't have a partner that is on board for something like that, how do you handle getting them into a therapy session or, you know, changing their view? Because nowadays, I mean, a lot a lot of the time, either one or the other wants to go or one has this crazy misconception on, on what therapy is. What do you say to those people? Um... A lot of people 
people might not like my answer, but you don't. Um, meaning you can't force anyone to do anything that they don't want to do. Because I've worked with a lot of people who have dragged their spouse or significant other to therapy. That person's not invested. They don't want to be there. They're going through the motions. You're wasting your money and time. Unless, and, and I think that in and of itself is a humongous answer. Right. And, and I guess what I mean by that is like, let's say you're in a relationship or a marriage or whatever, and things aren't going well. And you say, you know what, I really think that we should go in therapy to work on X, Y, Z. If that person doesn't want to go, you know, maybe it could just be they're not a therapy person and they're going to work on things another way. And that's okay. But if they're not working on things another way, you know, I don't know, maybe they're working with a coach, maybe they're really into like books, and they're going to read different books and self reflect or they're working with a pastor, whatever, right. But if they're not doing anything else, well, that in and of itself is a huge piece of information for you, right, which means you're going to be carrying some dead weight in this area. They're not, they're, they're not going to change. They don't want to change. They don't want to put the effort or time in to make those changes. And in that situation, you're going to end up being the only one that's going to be making concessions and compromises in the relationship. And you need to look at if that's okay with you or not. Yeah. And then if you kind of evaluate and you think that it's not, and you realize that, what are the tips to kind of gain the courage or the strength to get out of a relationship so so what would that look like is is the advice to here's these books that can help you gain that strength or these podcast episodes that can you know sharing stories about women that have done it or men that have done it you know I just I know a lot of people that are in relationships they want to get out of that that was a kind of a, a common um question and what is your expert advice in that situation? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, going back to what I said earlier, I think communicating with your partner is a great step, right? If you feel like there's something unhealthy there or something that you dislike, nothing comes from there. Or if you're maybe you're already in that place where yep. you're like, Nicole, I don't need to Done. do that. Like, I'm ready to get out of here. Yeah. Um, I think it can be really helpful to kind of, um, talk to someone or check in with someone whose opinion you really trust. Because I think sometimes when we're in a relationship, it's hard to even verbalize like why we want to leave. Not for everyone, but sometimes it can feel hard to like, you know, what is the reason or what do I tell people like is to why I'm leaving, right? Especially for relationships that maybe don't have that just like they cheated, right? Or yes. like, you know, this thing happened that I can just put a pin in it and like, this is why, right? But like, if everything's just like, okay, right? But you know, you want to leave. Like, I think talking with someone whose opinion you trust, who knows you really well, who is a big support, who you can like lean on a little bit to like kind of help you put that into words can be a great first step. I think uh, working with a therapist or coach is hugely supportive um and i would also say kind of going back to what we were talking about earlier with that like self-worth piece if you are in a place where you're like i want to get out of this relationship i just don't know how to do it 
I think that that's where like inner child work and reparenting can be really helpful because what that's telling me is you don't trust in yourself to take care of yourself, right? Or there's some barrier there to you kind of like stepping in and getting yourself out of that. And of course, like I just said, we can't do everything ourselves, right? Pulling in like that support can be so helpful during that really um, hard time of trying to leave a relationship. But I think doing that inner work of like, how can I really build up that inner trust within myself that I know this is bad and I'm going to have my own back and get myself out of this can be really, really powerful. Yeah, that's amazing. That's great advice. I think that can help so many people because a lot of the time you don't really want to just hear from somebody, just leave, just pack your bags and leave. Like you just said, three or four really good steps if you're already to the place where you want to leave. I love that. Thank you for that. Um, I did want to ask you too, kind of going in, in another direction, there's people that are in really healthy, happy relationships. From an expert like you, what would be the tips on keeping a lasting relationship? You know, you hear all the times about droughts or, 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 um, you know, bad phases in a relationship and people not wanting to get in those. Like what, what do you say from your standpoint? Oh, that, yes, that is a very good question. And I do quickly before I answer that too, because I'm just thinking in my head, people are probably going to be listening and being like, what is she talking about with inner child work and reparenting? So I just want to say, oh. I do have some posts on my Instagram about it. I did an IG live all about like inner child work. I also really love the book, How to Do the Work by Nicola Para. That's a great book. It goes a lot into reparenting and inner child work. Um, and I also love the book uh, called Becoming the One by, oh gosh, her first name is Shailena. I do not remember her last name, but her Instagram account is The Rising Woman. But those two books, I feel like are really good resources, Becoming the One and How to Do the Work. Okay, perfect. And I'll um, link those in the show notes for uh, listeners as well. Awesome. Perfect. Awesome. Um, but to answer the question about kind of what is a good long-term framework for having a lasting relationship, I like to call it the three C's, right? Good, helpful acronyms, remember, which is communication, collaboration, and compromise. In my opinion, I think those are kind of the foundational aspects to any healthy relationship. Um, because kind of, as I've already touched on before, communication is huge. If there's anything that anyone takes away from this podcast, is it is to communicate more with your partner and learn how to effectively communicate with your partner. Um, because I think that so many of us like you said, we started out in this really healthy place and now we're just two passing ships in the night. What happened, Nicole? You stopped talking to each other and you stopped connecting. So I share with a lot of my clients um, who are married or have been married for a long time, like a little check-in list, right? So it's like six questions and some of my clients do it every week or every other week or monthly, whatever works uh, for you, 
but they sit down with their partner and take that hour to just kind of go over like, and you know, each answers the questions like, what do we feel is going really well in our relationship? What do we feel could be improved upon? What is your biggest fear right now? What's, you know, been stressing you out? What is your biggest gratitude right now? What do you feel is going, you know, you're feeling really grateful for, right? Like, so just these couple touch points to just kind of like check in with each other. So many people stop doing that. And I think that's a huge part of having a kind of really secure relationship. Wow. I think it's, that's perfect. It's so simple, yet people could skip over it. And it's just putting that time into your relationship is really important. That's so nice to hear from somebody like you that really does, you see it all. I mean, you see a healthy relationship and you've probably definitely seen toxic ones. And if that's, you know, something that people can do that if you're listening and you're sitting at home, like what, I love my husband or I love my boyfriend or I love my wife or my girlfriend. Like, what can I do? You know, what's something simple? That is a nice little checklist of, of questions that you guys, that can start a conversation. That's perfect. Yes. I love that. And I think another great way to connect to, or something that I've seen in a lot of couples that have a really long lasting relationship is just having something that you both enjoy that you can do together. Right? Like I have a couple that I'm working with they have little kids, their lives are so busy, right? Like they're running around, they both are, have uh, high stress jobs, but they both enjoy playing tennis. And once a week they go to their local club and for that hour they play tennis together. And that hour a week does wonders for their relationship. Like I know it sounds so small, but so many couples lose that with just the hustle and bustle of daily life, right? And things happening and life happens. Um, so finding something that you and your partner can do together that you enjoy, maybe that's hiking, maybe once a week. Like I, I thought this was a really cool idea. I had one couple, I guess the AFI American Film Institute comes out with like their top 100 movies every year. So like each week they would watch one of those movies together. And you know, it was just this little thing, but just finding something that you can connect on and spend that physical time together um, or be in physical proximity of one another, I think is a really big part of that connection too. That's so nice. And my husband, the movie thing would never work. He would fall asleep in five seconds. So <laughs> never would ever mention that. <laughs> but no, that is a great idea. And I know I've heard of... Um, people just sitting down and playing card games with each other because yeah. you just start talking. And again, that goes back to what's so important, what can be so helpful in a relationship is communication. So if you're sitting there playing goldfish, I mean, you know, you just start talking. I think that finding out what your attachment style is, is so, so helpful in relationships. And for kind of being a team, collaborating together, figuring out what you want your relationship to be, what that looks like, what your game plan is together for how you handle disagreements. Um, because if we are coming to a relationship with different approaches to intimacy, or we have different attachment styles, it's going to be really, really helpful and important to have that conversation about what our differences are so we can kind of collaborate and be on the same page, right? Because we want to seek to understand and not to criticize one another. 
So I say all this to say that I do, uh, it will be launching in January of next year. I will have a course coming out all about kind of attachment theory and relationships. Um, and it will kind of go over a lot of the things that we've talked about today and be much more of a deep dive into attachment theory and attachment st styles. But that's probably the thing I'm most excited about right now. Wow, that is so exciting. You'll have to send me it or I'll have to look out for it in January so I can share it with everyone as well when it comes out. I I love the courses. I think that's so nice because a lot of the times people are waiting, you know, can't get somewhere or, you know, want to do something at home or on their own time or something like that. That's really nice. Uh, so I'll definitely share that. That is awesome. Yeah, no, I'm really excited about it. And I think what personally I'm uh, feel really good about is, you know, I have a lot of people that I connect with online, which I understand that like individual therapy is out of a lot of people's budget, right? It is not cheap. I totally get that. So it was so, so important to me to create a program that was very, um, reasonably priced. So because of that, instead of kind of doing one flat fee and doing a monthly membership, it's going to be less than $30 a month, less than a dollar a day. It's a monthly fee. You have access to all of the, you know, materials. So, you know, you can't can't get more, much more reasonably priced than that, I guess, in my opinion. So the, that was so, so important to me that it is going to be something that is accessible to everyone and not, you know, be this really expensive thing that, you know, you can't afford, especially with inflation right now. Right? Yes. And especially, <laughs> I think, too, with things kind of always changing, in, with this type of course or, you know, um, subscription, really, you things will be changing. You'll be adding or whatever it is. Totally. That is that is a huge benefit to what you're doing. I've never heard of that before. Yeah. Yeah. So that was just so important to me because I, you know, just talked to so many people who just like can't afford therapy or one-to-one -one coaching or whatever. Um, so yeah, I'll be adding new stuff in there all the time. Um, but kind of the initial launch will be the nuts and bolts of attachment theory and kind of helping you learn about the four different styles, identify what style you are, because personally, I think like that is just such the foundational work of relationships in general. So that's kind of why I wanted to start there. Yes. Oh my goodness. That is so, so great. I can't wait to share it with the listeners because I know that a lot of them will take advantage of it. Um, especially having you on and your background in this episode, just so great. I feel like it was packed full of so much information for them. I know we kind of went here and there, but um, I definitely think it was, it, it's perfect. And I just want to thank you so much for coming on. Oh, I could talk about this stuff all day long. I love it. So thank you so much, Mackenzie. Truthfully, me too. I'm like, I could sit here and I, I know we only have like a one hour allotted time until, you know, and then I have to go on to my next episode or whatever. But I'm always like, oh gosh, I wish they could just go to like two hours each. But because I could sit here and hear about it all day. I mean, I have a million questions, but it's like you want to cover all the bases, right? So people get the, as much out of it. Yeah. <laughs> But I love that. We I actually did have one more question. Do you what other theories are you really interested in? Because it seems like the attachment theory is is very um, something you're passionate about. Do you is the enneagram is that not a theory or is that, like that is next to that one? Dude? 
Yeah, I mean, my understanding is the Enneagram is a personality quiz. Yeah. That was based off of Carl Jung's work. So the Enneagram is more Enneagram. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it. I don't either. (laughs) Yeah, that's more personality where attachment style, attachment theory is a theory created by um, Bowlby around how we attach to and connect with other people. Okay. So both have, you know, I guess come from psychology, but are a little different. Gotcha. Cool, cool. Well, thank you again so much. Tell us where we can find you once again, if you want to plug anything else. I know in January, we'll circle back to that and I will um, link the books, that, the two books that you recommended in the show notes for everybody. But where else can we find you? Yeah, come on over, follow along at The Practice of Peace. Uh, you will find me dancing along to reels, being embar- very embarrassing to myself, having fun. Um, but no, I mean, it's a great free resource. I love connecting with people on Instagram um, and I'm very active in the DMs. So if you need any help or support or whatever, I always try and help people out or give them a book recommendation or just kind of point them in the right direction. So you can definitely find me there. And um, yeah. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, I actually too wanted to know, <laughs> I keep having questions for you, but we're not at <laughs> time yet. Um <laughs> I know anytime that I speak to somebody, um, maybe a friend or, or coworker or something, we're talk- and I'm always like, oh my gosh, do you have a therapist? You should get a therapist. You know, I always say that. Um, but a lot of the times I, I always hear, well, it's so hard. And everybody's always booked. Nobody does telehealth. You know, all those things. Is that, is it really that hard to, I mean, I know with the insurance and everything that like that, but I feel like everybody's always like, well, I'm, I'm booked. I'm booked. Everybody's always booked completely booked and it's not even you don't even get to the insurance part or not yeah um well I think that so psychologytoday.com is kind of the gold standard of where people find therapists um I will say with kind of the influx of telehealth with COVID and everything that really helped in that you know before it was like okay like for example i live in syracuse new york it's not a huge town right so like if the therapists are booked up like i ain't driving an hour to rochester you know what i mean but like now with telehealth therapists are licensed by state so i could hypothetically see a therapist anywhere in new york state so that really opens up the possibility so i would encourage people when they're looking for therapists or using these search engines you don't have to just find someone in your city if you're willing and able to do telehealth. Um, and I think that a lot of people are off put by therapists or practitioners that don't accept insurance. But what 99% of private practice uh, therapists who don't accept insurance do, they offer insurance reimbursement or something called a super bill to use for your out-of-network coverage. So I just say that to say that I would really encourage you if you have health insurance to call your insurance provider, find out what your out-of-network benefits are, because if you're willing to meet with someone that's out-of-network, that is going to expand your possibilities tenfold. And I have a lot of clients that I work with where insurance covers like more than half of their session fees. 
So, you know, yeah, maybe you're paying a little bit more than you would if it was in network, but not really that much more. So that would be a big tip that I would give you as well. And also, if you are in need of low cost services, Open Path Collective is a great resource too. There's therapists on there um, that offer, you know, more budget friendly services. So, and if you reach out to someone and they're not available, okay, do you have any referrals? You know, like ask them if they know of anyone, you know, whenever someone reaches out to me, I really try and give them referrals. Um, Cause I think that's best practice. You don't want to just be like, right. Full, don't know what to tell you. You know, yeah. if you want, anyone who reaches out, I just think that's such an amazing step that you want to help them get to, you know, where they want to be. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so glad I will. Um, link everything and send you everything when this will air and i just thank you so much for coming on the 20 something mom podcast oh of course i had so much fun doing this so thank you again of course